I'm glad I made you happy with my ineptitude. Excellent. Keep on doing so. Never change. Never change. I'll try. Hello and welcome to Dangerously Unprepared. I'm Simon, and joining me whole again are Jack. Yellow! Irish. Yellow! And Rob. My lords! That's, that stunned us all into silence. Thank you, Rob. You're very welcome, my lord. <laughs> I, I think... You're thinking of the wrong podcast, the one we don't speak of yet. <laughs> no, I, this is how I speak all the time, man. I, d- I don't know what you mean. I mean, my lord. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I, I think I'm going to just lead us straight off tonight. I yeah. think that's a great idea. There's a lot to cover. There is. And in the time since we last gathered together, I have been enjoying the 10-hour trial of Mass Effect Andromeda. Hi. Oh. And the review embargo lifted today, day of recording, so the oh. internet is responding to the controversies. Oh, fantastic. And yeah, uh, have, have you seen any of the, the coverage? Yeah, so, uh, and I, I want to point this out because in terms of all of it, I'm trying to avoid the majority, but I, I did a disservice to myself and I actually did look very briefly at one article which stupidly, was a collection of hundreds and hundreds of different <laughs> ratings. Um, Did you see the the reviews are in article then? No, I, I saw, basically, I, I clicked away from it, but basically it was all the major reviewers had, like, given in their scores, and it looked kind of positive, but I won't lie, there's definitely some animosity in certain areas, I don't know. Well, there's there's a couple of things to talk about in terms of the response to Andromeda. Okay. Uh, one is the, the mainstream reviews, mm-hmm. which have not been glowing, but no. have been positive. Yeah. So you're looking at a, a Metacritic of about mm-hmm. 75, so the average review is in that sort of 7 out of 10 area. So good, yeah. It, it's good, but not as good as previous Bioware games have done with the sure. reviewers. Sure. Um. And and that's one thing that's been making headlines. You know, it's oh, it's a bit underwhelming by the standards of previous Bioware games. Right. Eh, seven out of ten. I'm I'm happy with that. It's still good. Then there's well, the fact that the internet has done what the internet does and decided that it it's found a woman that can be blamed for the things they don't like about a thing and a harassment campaign can begin. Oh, what? Well, really? Yeah. Yep. Uh, Apparently, the facial animations in this game are so bad that someone's life has to be ruined over it because they found a woman they can go after. What? I thought you were going to say something like Sarah Ryder or something. Is it a real person? A real person who works at Bioware. Oh my god. Yep. And to be honest, considering the history of Assassin's Creed faces... Yeah. Sometimes weren't there, yeah. Or 
uh, Skyrim or Fallout faces that were sometimes, yeah. shall we say, in the wrong place. Fallout faces, in a lot of ways, were worse than Skyrim faces. So, yeah. like, if anything, they're going backwards. So, so yeah. Considering the history of this kind of thing in AAA games, this harassment campaign seems to be more about the fact there is a woman than there is a bug. What you know what I mean? Done? What yeah. have they done? Well, the standard stuff, you know, um, written up articles on various sites about how she slept her way into a job, harassed her on Twitter, sent death threats, all the normal stuff. That's just appalling. Yep. Um, and having played the game, somewhat unwarranted, because I, I have played games where there are bugs, and this is one of them. It's no worse than others. It's a lot better than many others in that regard. Hmm. There's also things called patches. Well, there's that too, yeah. That's yeah. a new newfangled concept for people to get their minds around. You know, it, 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 can, it can be changed, much like Jack, as we discussed it. That wasn't recorded. Re render that obsolete. But, um, <laughs> you know... <laughs> um, I was making a joke to a, a comment that I'd made, but we weren't recording at the time. But that's crazy. Um, I saw one shot where someone was holding a gun backwards. And if anything, that made me laugh. So it didn't annoy me at all. <laughs> I've not seen that one, but that does sound on par with the average Bethesda bug that becomes charming and hilarious. Yeah, there's a Tyrion who's like really like threateningly pointing a gun but at themselves. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's kind of amazing. Yeah, see? So it's good. There are good things to be taken away from this as well. And, I mean, to be honest, I've now played several hours of it. How is it? I mean, yeah, the faces are a little janky, but you've played Bioware games before, right? The faces are a little janky. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's a feature of the Bioware games, to be honest. Yeah. Um... There's one person's dialogue, uh, luckily not a sort of really central character, but a significant character whose vo voice performance left me wondering how they got away with that. And I honestly might cut it in here because it's that confusing. Really? Yeah, it's stilted. It's not, not delivered smoothly in any way. The the stresses in the sentences are oddly placed. Uh, the tone seems to change mid-sentence at one point, and it all sounds vaguely inhuman. Um, maybe he's a robot. Maybe, but there's no evidence that this woman is a robot. Now, uh, are, she just sorry. There are there are a few things that cause that to happen whilst recording voiceovers. So I've learned, and that is one of them. Uh, is massive gaps between recording sessions uh, and to inexperience or I don't know. The big it could, could be the dialogue as well. Like they may have been reading yeah. what they were saying and going, wait, what? Because yeah. she does have to start the conversation with, I'm sorry, my face is tired from everything. Oh. Which is not a great line. There's some bad writing here. Okay. There's some good writing too. I was going to say, because the one thing I've heard, and that's the thing, I can conf I can forgive, like, hilariously weird, like, facial animations and stuff. Like, I, I that doesn't really bother me. Like, I still play games like Mass Effect games, 
for the story and stuff. So as long as that's good, then I'm happy. But I've heard some people say that it isn't strong, and that worried me a bit. Yeah, I mean, that's a slight concern for me, because I'm not deep enough in to know much about the main storyline at all. Right. But what I do know so far has me interested. Like, it's only been, in terms of actual storyline that I've played, a lot of it in the 10-hour demo is side quests, mining, exploring, and all the stuff you do in a massive game like this. Right. The actual core plot is probably only a couple of hours out of that demo, so I've seen very little of it. I see. But even in that much, there's enough there. As someone who is very well versed in the Mass Effect lore, I've I've kept up with the initiative videos going into this, I've played the previous games, I've read the expanded novels, you know. There's enough there to make me go, oh, hello, I bet X, Y, Z. I I have theories already formulating in my head from what little I've seen. So there's potential there. I hope it isn't wasted potential, because if if it's that thing of I've seen something and what they've done isn't as good as the thing I've seen, that's a problem. But if they actually pay off on the thing I've spotted, then I'll be very happy with this, to be honest. Oh well, well that that I trust your judgment. I know you love Mass Effect. I've not touched this game, so. That has comforted me, comforted me somewhat regarding that because I'm going to be waiting by the door because it's getting delivered on the day. <laughs> so I'll be waiting by the door for it. I'm so excited about it still. So, I, I've got plenty of little complaints, things that would certainly, if I was still in the game of giving uh, video games scores, probably drive me down to about the 7 out of 10 range that it's getting from the critics. Oh, right. Just... Little things like the UI is clearly designed for a console, not for a PC, and does not quite translate nicely into mouse and keyboard. Uh, um, the UI isn't the easiest thing to navigate. Uh, there's some unnecessary cutscenes that aren't skippable. Uh, same as Mass Effect uh, previously. If you yeah. want to just nip onto your ship to check something... It's got to undock and fly off into space, and then you do your thing, and you go back to where you were, and it's got to land again, and that's still there. That's still tedious. Um, Planet scanning is back. If you're getting off a ship, you have to land it first. (laughs) You didn't have to take the bloody thing off in the first place. I just wanted to go on board. I didn't want to fly anywhere. (laughs) Amazing. Um, So that kind of stuff is still there. Planet scanning is still there. Sam, your sort of AI voice in your head is useful in some places and massively tedious in other places. Oh, no. Um, just that the massive planets now, and the planets, the planet I visited was rendered beautifully, but they have environmental hazards. So uh, a cold planet will have life-threatening temperature drops and a desert planet might have toxicity, you know, in the air. Yeah. And there is apparently one planet, and I can well believe this just from how annoying Sam has been on the one planet in the demo, that is a cold planet where you have to move from heater to heater, as it were. Yeah. And every time you move out of range of a heater, you'll get the you know temperatures dropping below critical levels, and every time you move in, life support stabilizing. And it's like just as you're walking along, it's just constantly saying one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, I get that. 
So it's not a flawless experience by any means, but the combat's great, the visuals are lovely, the planets are rendered beautifully, the Nomad is much more fun to drive than the Mako ever was, and I'm saying that as someone who still defends the Mako as a lot of fun. I like the Mako. And uh, so far, the characters I've met I like. Like, uh, a couple of them I had to have a few conversations with them to warm to them, uh, a couple of them grabbed me instantly and I was like, oh, I like you, tell me more. Uh, and I was only slightly taken out of it by how recognisably Natalie Dormer Natalie Dormer's character is. Yeah, really? I see. Oh, well, that uh, doesn't so, Yeah, I'm looking forward to more. I've got time booked off to play it properly. I'm, I'm looking forward to it, and that's about as positive as I can be right now. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm, I'm still super looking forward to it, and the one thing that everyone seems unanimous about is the combat is awesome. So yes, and the multiplayer, uh, being as it's the team who made this game are the team who made the multiplayer from the last Mass Effect. The combat is on point. The multiplayer is very familiar if you played the Mass Effect 3 multiplayer. Cool. I was just literally burning through a round of it before we recorded. Nice. And it's the same game, but with more verticality. There's a lot more um, jumping up and mantling onto the roof of things to get around the map that makes it a much more flowing experience, which I really approve of. So you like you have a jet pack in this, don't you? Like a boost Yes, you pack. do. Is that good? It's phenomenal. Okay. It just gives you a little boost. Uh, it, it's not for flying around, yeah, but yeah. it's like your jump, you can jump to the top of a building and clamber onto it now, rather than having to find a ladder. And just that one little thing makes the multiplayer way more fluid, because you're, you know, pelting across a map in seconds rather than find a ladder, climb a ladder, drop down, run across, find a ladder, climb a ladder. Right. Yeah. And now you're jump, mantle, run, drop off, jump, mantle, run, drop off. It's much quicker. And has weirdly added platform puzzles into the main game. Because uh, uh, that's what I was wondering, how it would change it up. So there are platform puzzles. Yeah, classic, uh, classic platforming of oh. I need to get from here to there. Here's a console that raises and lowers things. Okay, I can see, I can see how I can do this. Okay. And then you're um, finding little routes that you can use the jump pack to platform across to climb things and look at things. That sounds fun. Yeah. Cool. I'm excited. I'm very excited. And apparently I can turn the M8 Avenger into a flamethrower. I'm looking forward to that. Fire <laughs> uh, good. I wonder if it's going to have the classic Pals of Hanoi puzzle in it. Well, it is a Mass Effect game, so yeah. I would be surprised if not. <laughs> the one, one I was thing... half expecting it to come up right away, actually. There's something very, very early on. Um, and, and as soon as they said it, I thought, oh, is this going to be Towers of Hanoi? It wasn't. Oh, I thought, I thought it was said... just an introduction into how to use the scanner, but I really thought it was going to be the Towers of Hanoi immediately. <laughs> when you said it right away, I was like, oh, fuck, they didn't find a way to like put it into the character creation mode, did they? <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't put it past Bioware, but no, they haven't. You've got to rearrange your facial features, but you've got to do it in a way so that your eyes don't end up on the bottom and your nose somewhere at the top. <laughs> the, one, one, <laughs> the one sort of video I've seen from from it is uh I get the guy his the guy's character basically launched some guy into the air, flying up to get get him in the air, knocking him back to the ground, and then ground pounded him. 
Yeah, there are combat abilities that use the jetpack. Like, if you're a sniper and you want to get high ground to get a shot off, you just jetpack, hover a little moment, and it gives you time to get that shot off. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. That looks pretty cool. Oh, my God. Oh, uh, okay, that's one question I have, because it's not about the story or the characters, I think it's more about just the gameplay. So in terms of you levelling up your abilities and stuff, you can have... You can pick anything, right? What yes. kind of what? Give us an example of one or two of the unique things you have per, you know, uh, option. If you know what I mean. Well, if you've played the previous games, you're pretty familiar with it. Uh, there's different skill trees of like soldier, engineer, infiltrator, biotics. Okay. And uh, so within those, in soldier, you've got your. Um, your slow, uh, your rapid fire, don't overheat. You've got your uh, barrier that you can throw up to fire from behind. You've got your different ammo types. Yeah. Uh, do you have your ammo types? No, they're consumables now. I don't know if you can upgrade them in the weapon. Oh, okay. uh, but you can get like packs of incendiary ammo that you can nice. take with you on a specific mission. Um, biotics have all their normal things singularity, barriers, pulls, uh, shockwaves. And. Infiltrators have their stealth, their overload, uh, incinerate, as you'd expect. Cool. And what you do have are profiles. So you've got a soldier profile and you unlock further profiles. So you can have like an adept profile, engineer profile, whatever. So mid-game you can switch between different skill sets as you face different enemies, which is super handy. Yeah. And one of the things that does is it makes your character much more flexible so you don't get locked into saying there are certain companions I'm just not going to take with me because their skill set is so close to my own skill set. Yeah. So if you want to take the soldier companion with you on a specific mission and an engineer, you switch to your biotic profile and, hey, look, your squad is balanced again. That's amazing. Oh, that's really cool, because that's that's always been a thing with Mass Effect, is that, yeah, who would I never bring? Like, I would I would often, like, be troubled about bringing Garrus, because he's a sniper, so, and I like sniping, so I always brought him anyway, though, because he's Garrus. But yeah, it bothered me. I say, it basically meant to me that I never brought Ashley or uh, Vega, so not, not I didn't much. bring Ashley because she was dead. <laughs> Yeah. The see, there were, I really liked Vega, so I would have liked to have spent some time with him, but I had the same problem. Yeah. But now I could have taken him with me on a specific mission and switched profile for myself and done other things on that mission and let him take care of the soldiering. Mm. Oh, interesting. And can you link like biotics with the jetpack moves that you were talking about, things like that? I uh, haven't explored the biotics too deeply. My single-player character is mostly a sniper-soldier combo. Cool. Uh, so I don't have any biotics on that yet. Uh, I imagine you can, because all of the chain reaction moves are still in there. So in multiplayer, I was playing an adept. We had a vanguard, lots of biotic chain reactions. Nice. I imagine there's cool jetpacky stuff you can do, especially as a vanguard. I imagine vanguard charge with a jetpack is fairly devastating. Oh my god, out of the sky. That's, that's insane. <laughs> and, and in multiplayer, you can still be the different races and stuff then. Uh, yeah, you still need to unlock 
um, non-human races. It's sure. still that same earning game currency, buy boxes, gamble to see what you get, or yeah. buy boxes with real money. Uh, that nonsense still goes on, but yeah, you can unlock the other races. Perfect. No, I like that. I always like being a Krogan. Gotta love the Krogan. Cool. That sounds great. Certainly good. Yeah. I, I want to see more of the plot before I declare it great, but it certainly looks good. Sure. Absolutely. And I'm sure listeners returning will hear our uh, review soon. Oh, yeah. I, I reckon we're probably going to do a show on it once we've all played it. I think that's yeah, fair right. to say. Oh, easy. I easy. Is there anything else we want to talk about before we hit the main topic? I'll take that as a no. So, we all love Mass Effect. Has anyone ever <laughs> written their own story about Mass Effect? No. No. <laughs> No. Okay. Don't like Let, although, <laughs> although to combine certain of our loves and to introduce the topic, I did once write out my own Mass Effect role-playing game system. It's true, he oh, did. That's awesome. I never ran it, but I did write it out. It's true. Uh, he didn't. That was a fan work. Uh, yeah, I, I sat down on, with the original games and sort of worked out uh, how the XP curve worked, what the XP for certain types of enemy were sort of the damage numbers on the weapons, start just statting it all out in tables for a, a roleplay system, and then sort of looked at all the races, the racial advantages and stuff. Um, and that was one of my fan works, which is the topic of conversation tonight. Fan fiction, fan art, fan movies, that sort of thing. Okay, Can okay. I ask Simon, just really quickly, what? because uh, I, I have downloaded a Mass Effect roleplaying game quite recently. It's a D20 system. What kind... Was yours because it might be better. I was using GURPS, ah, nice. um, the generic universal roleplay system. Yeah, uh, it's it's in what I'd call an early alpha stage. Yeah. That's so the D twenty one is probably much more playable than mine right now. Okay. Cool. Sorry, I realised I spoke over Jack. What were you saying? I just, I was just like fucking hell, dude. Like I wrote an RPG for a, as a fan thing once, and it didn't involve any spreadsheets or. You know, thinking. <laughs> well, we have different approaches to these things. You, you, had, an, you had an approach. That's the difference. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay. So, what? A, what? A, what a fan works. What a fan works. Explain to me. Hey, you down there. Are you a fan of a thing? I guess. Why? Well, would you like to? give back to the fan community and create your own works within that fandom? I have never thought about it, but now that you've said that, I can't think of anything I'd rather do. Oh, uh, fantastic. Are you a good writer? No. It doesn't matter. Would you like to write something? Yes. Then you should write something. You should write okay. some fan fiction. Okay. There you go. Oh, That's okay. <laughs> it can get published. Look at Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, uh, that's. <laughs> I was actually going to mention that at some point along the conversation, just saying that, uh, man, writers are really writers in particular are really very divided on on fan fiction. I've noticed. Yeah, definitely. Very much so. Yeah. Some hypocritically so. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, George R. R. Alan Moore. Is Alan Moore against it? 
Alan Moore, well, yeah, he basically regards any DC stuff written based on any of his properties as fan fiction and beneath contempt, uh, when at the same time he wrote The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which was nothing if not fan fiction. Yeah, that is huh. fan fiction. It's, yeah, yeah. Oh, bless him. He's crazy. I mean, you can, you can, Alan Moore's one of those people where you can like his work just just completely divorce it from anything that comes out of his beard hole um, is really the only... I like his early work. Yes. His yeah. earliest. I'm going to adopt my hipster stance on Alan Moore. I liked his early work. I liked him before he was famous. I think it's, I agree. it's, it's less hipstery when you're pointing it towards someone who has, you know, a career that's lasted, what, 350 years now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote something really troubling that made me go, Ugh, like, and I was sort of a bit. I Wait, was a which bit. One was this? Cause... Well, I right, I don't remember the name of it, but like someone said, "Oh, this is Alan Moore," and sort of thrust it into my hand, and I looked at it, and it was a story about. Um, I think it was Alice in Wonderland. So Alice. Oh, we're talking about Lost Girls. Is that it? Uh, what yep. I read, I was like, oh, <laughs> that's a bit weird. It's, oh. Yeah, that's flat out fan fiction porn. Yeah. Yeah, it's porn. Which... And they're too young to be in porn. <laughs> Those of you out there who, who uh, might have only a cursory awareness of fan products might be aware of the porn. Uh, <laughs> <since>, you know. <laughs> This is the internet, and generally speaking, if you only hear about one aspect or one facet of a fan, uh, a fandom, it is going to be, you know, it's going to be the naughty bit. Yeah, it's going to be the smutty bit. Right. Um, I've noticed... Oh, sorry, go on. No, 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 that's that's what I was going to say on that. Okay, it's just I noticed that we've gone down quite a negative road in terms of fan fiction (laughs) to begin with, and I think it might be a good idea for us to mention... First of all, uh, fan fiction or fan works that have most uh, impressed us. Why don't we go with that? Literally anything I've ever written. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's interesting, actually, because I was going to save that question for later. That's something we will approach later because I have a really cool question for everyone. Just edit it out, out, but keep the laughter. (laughs) Okay, we'll keep the laughter. We, We need them. Uh, <laughs> so, who would like? I'm going to leave the whole thing in as a tease for yeah. that. We're going to come back to that. Definitely, I've got we'll a really forget. good question. We will forget. Yes, we will forget, and we'll have to listen to this recording to then remind ourselves of it. Never. That's that's weird. Um, no. Okay. So, what fan fiction has impressed you guys most? Who would like to go first? Shotgun at me. Okay, I'll go. <laughs> um, uh, Leaving pornography aside, because that is a large part of fan fiction's history and fan fiction's purpose. Uh-huh. But also, um, also, I don't think Simon. I don't think you've ever said the phrase "leaving pornography aside" ever <laughs> in your life. <laughs> you might be right. That might be a first. Um, I think it's fair to say that Star Trek is a franchise that's deeply important to more yeah. than one person on this podcast. Nice, mm-hmm. and was kept alive in the decades between the end of the original series and the start of the next generation uh, albeit th- there were movies but they even they came some time after the finish of the original series but very much kept alive by fan fiction and other fan works fan films have been made of star trek fan shows 
and some of those have been deeply impressive. Um, the the fan films I'm thinking of, especially, uh, not necessarily of the same production quality, let's say, as a TV show, but for fans actually just coming together and putting together some of the audio work that's been done for Star Trek, some of the films, um, Gods and Men, Renegades, things like that, that were put together more recently. It's actually getting very professional as well. But a lot of the stories that were written in those decades were were really good, very loving um, treatments of the characters of the setting. And modern fan fiction, I think, probably owes its roots to the popularity of Star Trek and, let's be honest, slash fiction. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in a very real way, fan fiction has existed forever, uh, for as long as the written word, really. Depending on how broadly you want to cast the net of fan fiction, you can look at Shakespeare's histories as fan fiction. Yeah. Uh, you can uh, look at the Bible as fan fiction. People would write into the write into the Strand with their own um, Sherlock Holmes stories. Oh, very yes, very good point. So, yeah, that's yeah. actually one of the earliest examples of what would be sort of a more modern fan fiction. Yeah, but yeah, there were a lot of third party Holmes stories. Yeah, I think uh, I was I was looking into this actually because I know we're dangerously unprepared and all that, but I did I did do a little bit of prep um, and found that apparently that, like the first term of it being like the the phrase fan fiction. To mean hmm. what we're meaning was sometime in the forties, but like it's existed oh, for a long ass time. But like the, the phrase fan fiction, which confusingly did exist before that, but to mean uh, fiction written by fans of a genre rather than by professional authors, if that makes sense. So like amateur, hmm. fiction, yeah. Um, okay, pub- published in fanzines and things like that. That was that's been around since like you know the, the sort of your thirties pulp sci-fi stuff. Did they have the word? Oh no, they had the word "fan" by then. I was thinking, when did the word "fan" come into, <laughs> into usage? Because then, shortly afterwards, well, funnily enough, <laughs> you know what? I actually, I actually don't know the answer to that one. Uh, did it, is it true that it comes from? The- no, I'm, I was, I was just messing around. It's fine. Because uh, it- I thought, I thought, well, surely you need the word "fan" before "fan." It could be called fan fiction. It could have existed before then. But I mean, anyway, I, sorry. Carry I, I, on I, I, with I, your I could, thoughts. I could be wrong. It could have come from fanatic. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So oh, that yeah, that's where it, it comes from. Yeah. That yeah. Make it Elizabethan in in origin, then. Uh, okay. Cool. So there you go. <laughs> A little bit of etymology there for uh, for our fans. Sorry, fan. But you were saying you were do- you were looking into it. Yeah, that's what I that's what I came out with. Oh, okay. <laughs> you didn't the word I said, did you? <laughs> no, I did. I just thought that you were leading because you said that you'd like been looking into it. I thought like you were going to run us through like the timeline or something. I don't know. Timeline? I don't understand. Never mind. Okay. Never mind. Okay, so back to what Simon was saying then. As Star Trek has been brought up, um, has there been anything in particular that sticks out for you for that particular? area it's mm, it's hard to think of titles off the top of my head because a lot of fan fiction is consumed you know just as a very passing internet thing mm. these days the, we don't really so much have the fanzines of the era when uh that kind of thing was keeping star trek alive that's not something 
I have a lot of. I don't really have the zines. I know they existed and I know they were important. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's the more it, the stuff that sticks out in my mind is, as I said, like Renegades um, and <clears throat> things like that that were the modern fan films. Uh, and looking at what they were doing with Axanar as well, um, which brings up an interesting sidebar, of course, which is now regulation of fan works Ooh. in the era of modern intellectual property. Mm-hmm. That uh, different creators have very different opinions, as we were saying, about yeah. fan fiction. Some encourage it, some tolerate it, and some try and stamp it out. And uh, love them or hate them, the owners of the Star Trek IP seem to be fine with fan works until they look like they're going to be good and get <laughs> yeah. an audience. Uh, uh, yeah. less, and less then so they the, crush it. Yeah, less so necessarily with the good but or with the uh, successful. Yeah, enough to get an audience. You know, as as soon as they're starting to really get attention, they'll crush it. Yeah, which is something uh, Fox Studios have a particular reputation for. So much so that in video games, where I would say a lot of mods are fan works. Yes, you, you'd have like the Doom Aliens mod. Oh God, yes. Um, so many of these things were shut down by Fox Studios that the act of shutting down a fan mod. Uh, through IP ownership, was just came to be known as foxing a project. Yeah, yeah. Anything that Fox owned the license for, as soon as any mod for any game came out, basically they would shut it down. Something I've been following just been, just been foxed in that in that regard. What's that? Yeah. And what is that? Um, a group of guys were making a uh, remake of the Metroid. For the Game Boy, for the game original Game Boy, so Metroid Two, but yeah. doing it in the um, Metroid Fusion engine, so like the 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 most the the best two D style that they had available, and it literally got cease and desist on release day, and it That's was mean. yeah, but you know Nintendo and that. Are pretty pretty sharp on that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, they yeah. are. A lot of people who've made homebrew Pokemon games have learned that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Again, that happened recently as well. Last year, that one. Now you brought it up, I can think of one too because one I was actually eagerly anticipating. And for those that uh, weren't quite so enamoured with the latest uh, battle Star Wars Battlefront, uh, we're looking forward to a mod that was coming out that was essentially what Star Wars Battlefront 3 was going to be, confusingly, you know, the original Star Wars Battlefront games. There was going to be a third, it got cancelled, but uh, a group of fans together made this really expansive, epic Star Wars Battlefront 3 game, essentially. They didn't call it 3, they called it Battlefront um, uh, Galaxies or something, I can't remember the name, but it looked incredible. And then at the last moment, Lucasfilm, uh, sorry, LucasArts just stamped their feet down on it and ended it. And they they weren't obviously doing it for profit or anything. None of these are for profit, I should imagine. Um, it's just to have it out there. And uh, yeah, they put an end to it, which is a shame. So games, man. I've no, I didn't even think about that, to be honest. Yeah, uh, 
through through the mod community, through just fan fan. It's something I've got to look into at the moment. Actually, working on a fan game at the moment. Yeah. Um, got to make sure none of this even looks like it's ever going to like. Because it won't. It won't earn any money. That's the thing. Because it's a fucking what, stupid it... little fan game. I'm not going to talk about it on here because it's a super secret project at the moment, which admittedly is all over my Facebook. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things you got to look into it. Even when you're like, oh, it's just going to be a fun little project I'm going to do on a weekend and just, you know, have a bit of fun with this. And then you start going, well, shit, actually, what if something happened and, you know, someone got angry? I'm going to your Facebook. Don't do that. There's nothing there. <laughs> there it is. You've just told me. There are plans for your super secret fan game, Jack, and I'm going to find it. <laughs> oh, do you want to know? Yeah, in terms of pure fan fiction. Yeah. Like, I, I think it's, it is interesting to look at the history of it, where you can say, like, before a certain point, almost all fiction was fan fiction because it was all oral history and every story changes in the retelling. So yeah. every story is an interpretation by someone who was a fan of the story retelling it in a slightly different way. Then there's the sort of first acknowledged fan fiction of someone taking characters that existed in other contexts, like uh, Beowulf is oh, sort yeah. of a fan fiction piece, Shakespeare in that sense. Yeah. Um, then you've got, as, as you were saying, in the early 20th century, you've got the sort of Baker Street Irregulars, the Holmes fan fictions. Huh? Uh, but I think the modern history really accelerates basically as and this is something i think is true of all fan works and it's why i'm very excited to live in the era of technology that we do now as the means to produce content is democratized and the barrier of entry is lowered fan fiction or fan creation is inevitable yeah. so in the 60s you could get a simple hand press and make a fanzine uh maybe even photocopier uh, shortly thereafter, and start to very cheaply produce a low-budget printed uh, medium. So fanzines were the carriers for a lot of fan fiction. So we say Star Trek kicked it off. I think it was a, a coming together of the means as well as the reason. So there was this much-beloved franchise because it was at a very similar time that Dojinshi began to appear. Ah, which I think is something that someone else could talk to more than I could, but basically self-produced manga. Oh, I see. This is this is something I, I came across when in Japan is that there's such a bizarre grey area in terms of like uh fandom works and that sort of stuff and, and copyright laws over there. The when compared to here, I mean. What yeah. so they but they can't sell it, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've, yeah, got, I've, got, a, I've really? got a few on my shelf. Oh. And it's and these started important. to come... And, and not not all of them. Yeah. Uh, and these started to come around the same time. And so that's my basis for saying there's a technological reason for it as well as just a phenomenal reason for it in Star Trek, uh, which is... Why the internet is perhaps the revolutionary change to fan creation. Because your potential audience is no longer the people you can hand print a fanzine, take to a convention and sell to. It's not just those hardcore fanatics. It's literally anyone in the world. Mm -hmm. As the internet becomes more common, the, the price of publication 
hits basically zero as long as you have access to the internet. And the means of distribution is global immediately. So it's an attention war rather than a production war. So we see archive of our own fanfiction.net. We see these sites dedicated to the practice beginning to arise. We also see, you know, increasingly distribution of fan audio works because, again, the uh, barrier of entry is very low there. And as as computers have become more powerful, as the software has become cheaper and more broadly available, fan films have started to go from being a videotape that is copied a few times and again handed around at conventions to something that gets put out on YouTube. That's very true. And in fact, it's weird, Simon, in a way, because now I'm thinking about it, in a way, the fan culture has now entirely taken over the actual actual full-on mediums. Like, think about cinema. Rogue One is a fan film. Let's face it. Like, whether you like it, whether you love it, whether you hate it, it is a fan film. Like... A lot of Marvel stuff, I would argue, because people have grown up with it, it is now almost coming back around on itself, if you know what I mean. I I see what you mean. I think there's a lot of the same sensibilities in it as there is in fan production. It's just that these fans happen to have access to studios. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not everyone does. So sometimes you'll get Trooper Clerks and sometimes you'll get Rogue One, but they're both Star Wars fan films. Yeah. Trooper Clerks being one of my favourite fan works, as it is a fan work of two different franchises at once. Yes. <laughs> which you like. Both of which I like. It is literally Stormtroopers doing the clerks' jobs from clerks. Yeah. It's great. It's That's so good. Great. I've not seen that. That's what sounds awesome. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. You really do need... It's just a short little black and white, um, and I'm sure it's on YouTube. It is. It is. Um, yeah, well, Star Wars has a whole bunch. Um... There's a great one, I can't remember, it's, uh, there's Jeff Vader, which is quite amusing. Jeff Vader is pretty hilarious. Um, and there's another one where it's like they've taken the uh, all the uh, previous uh, voice works, for, or, or just from different films that he's in, Voices of J- James L. Jones, but covered yes. all the Vader's lines with it, and it oh, is the, the Vader spectacular. Sessions. Vader Sessions, that's it, yes. That is genius. That that mashup culture is a very recent form of fan work, and there are some brilliant examples. One of my favourites being taking the audio from Withnail and I and putting it over (laughs) (laughs) C-3PO. Oh my god! I've not seen that. It's marvellous. It's like C-3PO in the Sandcrawler, you know, jerking awake and finding the Jawas standing over him and going... (laughs) I have a heart condition. <laughs> if you hit me, it's murder. Murder. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. I'll have to watch that. Literally any situation that 3PO finds himself in could be replicated with just him saying, I've gone on holiday by mistake. <laughs> yeah, that one comes up. <laughs> oh, man. That's perfect. That's actually perfect. Oh, good. Oh, wow. While we're on Star Wars, I can mention uh, a few that I like from Star Wars. I mean... There was a really good one quite recently uh, called Apprentice, which um, I guess this is topical considering the character's fate of late, but it's about Darth Maul and it's really good. Like um, it is a, it's a very, very simple, like 
premise, it is basically Darth Maul going to a planet and fighting a whole bunch of Jedi. And it's it sounds simplistic. It is simplistic. But the special effects, the choreography on display is incredible. And it just goes to the show with enough commitment to an idea, you could pull off something that would look at home on the big screen. Like, it's great. I would recommend any Star Wars fan going and checking out Apprentice, because it is very good. And vicious as well. That that sounds actually pretty cool. It is good. Yeah. There's also a lot of very bad Star Wars fan films out there. In fact, one of the most searched for things on YouTube, I think, are lightsaber um, uh, fights, I guess, because now everyone can do the rotoscoping effect of a lightsaber. So I've seen some really good ones. There are some really good ones. I've seen some really dire ones. <laughs> yeah. In fact, there's there's actually a comp- like a, a, a annual competition uh, that people can enter that um, is all about just making lightsaber fights. Like uh, the famous one, which I think, I think was the first big one, was one called um, Ryan versus Dorkman. Right. And it's just about two like early 20 somethings. They don't say anything, it's silent. They just walk into a warehouse and they're dressed normally. They're not dressed as Jedi or anything, which I think is a nice effect. <laughs> like it's kind of acknowledging the fact that you know this is just two guys messing around but they have the most insane lightsaber fight like it's absolutely nuts it has um, moments of levity as well it's got so i remember it had some quite funny moments in there as well yeah 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 so it doesn't take itself too seriously like one tries to use the force to pull a lightsaber to him and then at the last second the other slaps the guy's hand down so the lightsaber hilt then plows into his nose like Sort of that sort of stuff. It's really good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, fan films, man. There's a lot. See, my 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 realm of expertise is uh, mostly fan fiction. Yeah. Uh, I've been writing it for a few years, mostly Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, and I've been sort of very, very big sort of reading the the Yu-Gi-Oh fan fiction community. Uh, there's a lot in there I could recommend. Um, uh, but. And there's a lot. Of, if you ever want to check out some good Evangelion fanfic, because a lot, of, I'm sure our viewers will know, viewers, listeners, will know I'm quite a big Ava fan. Uh, if you check out Greg Landsman's um, Ava fanfics, those those are very, very good, very dramatic. Um, What's the premise for his Ava fanfiction? It, it's then? essentially just sort of giving you the series, but building up on it as if it were an epic sort of biblical novel. Oh wow! Yeah, it's like a religious epic done with Ava. Um, Jesus. I was also going to I'm going to drop some little a fun little bit of uh trivia here and no no one no one's allowed to google for this. Did you know okay. that the longest work of literature written by a human being is a fan fiction? Yes, I did know that. Ah, okay. It's I did not know that, but it doesn't surprise me. It's yeah, it is a Super Smash Brothers fan fiction. It is. I've so, I've read a, a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, right. So I've had a look into this. Do you know how long the current uh, Guinness World Record holding longest novel is? No. Okay. No. Uh, à la recherche de ton perdu by uh, Marcel Proust is one point two. Sorry, one million two hundred sixty-seven thousand and sixty-nine words. So a, li- a little shy of one point three million words. 
That is Jeez. that is crazy, right? Dude didn't have an answer. Right? The the longest fanfic, so the longest work of literature, the Subspace Emissaries World Conquest, currently stands at four million sixty one thousand one hundred and twenty nine words. Oh my god. It's gone up since I've read it. Since yeah. I read, L- last I've updated read then, cause... last updated uh, last October. Yeah. And it's Smash Bros. Yep, started yeah. in March of 2008. It started with Brawl, because in Brawl, the, the the single player campaign is the subspace emissary. And from oh, I remember there, that, yeah. And from there, this this is spawned from that. And it's just a saga, what, are they at war with each other? And that's it's what like it's about? A, or... It's like an OC character in that universe, but it features all the Smash characters. Yeah. Oh, that's it's really cool. Really good. War, War and Peace is five hundred and eighty-seven thousand two hundred eighty-seven. <laughs> so it's like it's like eight War and well, it's like seven War and Pieces. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. And it's Super Smash Brothers fanfic. That, oh, wow, that warms my heart so much. And yeah, think, that's really cool. And I think it's still ongoing. Yeah. It it's may not... never stop. The ongoing war. Um, also, if you ever get a chance, if you're if you're a fan of uh, Madoka, sorry, Maho Magica, Madoka, blah, 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 uh, the anime, and Doctor Who, there's quite a fun little fanfic out there uh, called A Hero. What, a mix of the two, do you mean? Or yes. Those... Oh, crossover fanfics, yes. Some... Yeah, well, crossover is one of the most popular genres of fanfiction. It is, it is, I um... just didn't. That's a strange thing for Doctor Who to mix with. But go on, tell me more. Um, so actually, I don't know if that's going to work in in the chat thing. I was going to put, paste some of it into the chat, but I don't know if um, uh, periods and breaks in in paragraphs work out that way. So um... I don't know. Suck it and see. All right. <laughs> Wait, what? Um, so crossover fanfic. Hey, do you really like uh, you know? character x from series y why not team them up or interject them into series z you know if you wanted to see how luke skywalker would get on in the star trek universe yeah if you wanted to see what would happen if the starship enterprise like you know wound up finding gallifrey which is weird, actually, because uh, I think we've actually talked about it on the show, this, the, the numerous Doctor Who and Star Trek crossovers where Spock finds a jelly baby. Like, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's really yeah. cool. Yeah, that's really cool. I like that idea. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it line by line. You'll see a lot of, for example, uh, Marvel and DC crossover stuff where people want yeah. their favorite comic book characters from different publishers to meet. That's so cool. So, yeah, you've got your basic sort of genres of fan fiction, as it were. You've got your slash, obviously, oh, which yeah. is which is your porny, titillating, sometimes of varying explicitness, let's say, but oh, yeah. always based on the pairing, yeah. hence the slash. It's the slash between the names who are being paired. It's it's I, I always find I mean that might just be because of what I what I read. It's it's less of the the titillation and whatnot. Um, a lot of what I read is sort of. I guess you'd call it like bro shipping, like two characters being friends, whether that be mm. uh, of of different genders, the same gender, you know, any combination thereof. 
Um, Let's say it's relationship-based. Yeah, um, a lot of people will see shipping and uh, will see it as a sexual relationship or romantic relationship. And that does make up a lot of it. I'm not going to pretend it doesn't. Um, <clears throat> but there's a lot a out there which is very, least, very... Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of uh, platonic uh, shipping fic out there, which is which is my sort of wheelhouse, and that's what I, I'm into. I was, um, I'm just reading what you put into the, and I probably shouldn't have brought it up because now we'll have to say so the listener knows what we're talking about. But just to let you know, yep. that little bit of conversation yep. is amazing. Just to explain, I won't read it out, but it is a Dalek, Dalek sec, as we talk about Doctor Who an episode or two back, a Dalek sec talking with who is Coot? Hubei is a... Well, depending on who you ask, is either the cutest little animal mascot ever, or the sum the of devil. human the nightmares. Devil. The devil, the devil, uh, the devil. Yes, he's the devil. Oh, okay. Uh, it's a really cool exchange. Maybe as a bonus at the end, we will read that out because I want to read <laughs> that out because it's really cool. But we'll we've not not right now, but at the end. But yeah, you've got your your slashing, your shipping. Uh, interestingly, to this day, slash is more synonymous with male male pairings and the word fem slash for female female. Yeah, that it still persists, um, and that comes down to a lot of the origins of erotic fan fiction actually being uh, similar to a lot of Japanese um, yaoi, uh, more female created and female audience based. It's actually a very, very potent area for women creators. Yeah, uh, it's, it's. I mean, Dojin in that regard is where uh, the quite famous uh, manga creators Clamp got started. Uh, they actually got started uh, um, writing and drawing Star Wars Dojin. To bring it all back into a full circle here. That's right. Yep. Yeah, so the creators of, uh, you know, Cardcaptor Sakura and, and, and whatnot got started with Star Wars Dojin. Then you've got your simple expanded fanfic which is just taking a concept as it is and writing more of it it's, so yeah, if you if you've seen the buffy season 8 comic you could see that as an expanding fanfiction oh, of God, the tv yeah, show that's, yeah. and that's good as well a lot of it is also you know oh there was a there was a break between these two seasons or a time skip i want to write more about that or yes what happened in the interim or, which is where rogue one falls in yeah or pretty much anything yeah. that's been done with the firefly universe yeah, we want another series. No, okay, we want another movie. All right, no, fine. I will write another movie. You've got your crossover, which, as we said, taking two franchises or more franchises and smashing them together and see what happens. Yep. Uh, you've got yeah. uh, your stuff that focuses on a specific character, often putting them in horrible situations. Um, yeah. And just focusing on their torment. I don't know why people love to do that to their favourite characters, but apparently they do. We'd have to talk to some sort of expert. So anyway, uh, I'd say it... <laughs> um, I, I mean, that, again, is... Large. If I'm writing one character rather than a pairing, that is actually probably the majority of it. But I think that's more down to my own uh, creative stagnation. Man, I love writing me some horror. I love writing me some violent body horror. Uh, or emotional horror, and if you can do that with the many, 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 many psychological traumas that are present in a lot of the shows and movies that we're all familiar with, um, you can you can run with some really interesting stuff. Like a lot of the time, 
a show or a movie will present you a concept for something horrifying, but never fully explore it. And there's that bit of me that's like, okay, but you've given us this, this little dark seed here. Let me just let me just water this with with some with some fan tears, and uh, let's see what happens. And then you have perhaps the most derided form of fan fiction, the one that gives it such a bad reputation. And it can be combined with others. The self-insert. Oh. Mm. Which is where you take pretty much any of the above types of fanfiction and add a character. And that character is you. In whatever guise, <laughs> it is you. <laughs> now... I'm I am sure because uh, mostly because I don't I I try not to paint everything with exactly the same brush, but I'm sure that there there must be some good self-insert fix out there. Yeah, there I, must be. I can tell you one of the genres it does well in. Yeah, Pokemon. Yes, like what if the... I were a Pokemon trainer? Yeah, the one that. Well, I, one of the main, main fan fiction that I read are the original character Pokemon stories, where they, people have basically taken their gameplay and turned it into a story, be it be it, be it fan fiction or webcomic or whatever. And they are probably, in my choice of it, they're probably the, the best way that you can do your character insert into a existing franchise and not make it horrendous you know what i mean yeah yeah that works for me i like that no i know what you mean and uh, i think one of the things that i i think i really like about fan fiction and uh is it can be intentionally a medium that is uh that people can subvert in a weird way for comic effect and because obviously you know we've all we've all read the odd you know janky fan fiction which isn't great but oh, then there God. are some yeah. that show up where you think has this been done on purpose so i have a brief extract i'm going to read to you that you probably all know <laughs> oh, it's entitled halo halos in space joe chief was in space and had weapons and was an army guy but he wasn't a robot link master chief he didn't fly <laughs> joe chief was one day in a place and shooting weapon at targets and then got a call on the space tv in the ship and then said to him joe chief aliens are shouting at ship come here quick so he went I'm surprised you went with Halos in space rather than full life consequences. I don't perhaps know. What the, that is. The more, it is perhaps the more famous output by the same author. Oh, I did Squirrel King, yeah, man. Yes. Is it is is it on purpose though? John Freeman who was Gordon Freeman's brother. <laughs> oh, yeah. This, oh, yeah. Squirrel King genre is writing about the brother of the protagonist of the subject matter that they are undertaking. Yeah. Um yes, uh, indeed. Full life consequences begins. John Freeman, who was Gordon Freeman's brother, was one day in an office no, typing no, no, no. on computer. Was, was one day an was one day office. an office. Sorry, I'm reading an edited version that has been corrected. <laughs> That's no fun. <laughs> if you want the full effect, if you want the full effect, go to YouTube, type in full life consequences. Yeah, I find it the, the dramatic reading with Gary's mod movie to accompany it. 
I yeah. never knew. I never realized this was a fan fiction. I've only ever seen the videos. Oh yeah, they they they're from the fan fictions. Like, well, at least I think that's how they began. Yep, they, they, fan fictions. they are dramatic readings of Squirrel yeah. King's fan fiction. I did and, not know yeah. that. That's amazing. The beautiful thing about Squirrel King is, is it deliberate? We'll never know. Well, <laughs> right. So, the the thing did turn out to be false, uh, which was a shame. But I, I think if you still look at it as some adorable madcap foray into into writing, it is it, it's beautiful. I mean, even now knowing that it's it's not for real, it's still it's still a wonderful little mishmash of terrible, good, bad, awful, nice writing. It is a performance piece of its own. Yes. It really is. I mean, I I was struggling with because there's no commas, there's no full stops. It is literally oh, yeah. just you have to go for it in one breath. Because <laughs> there's, no, there's no crap. I have read fiction that wasn't even fan fiction, it was just, you know, amateur fic that was written like this. So mm. I you know, it could very easily have been real. Um So Oh yeah. man. I realise I may have missed the uh, missed the opportunity to bring this one up because we were talking about mashups, but um, you guys will all know this one, and it's a famous one because um, we we touched briefly on comic book characters, but didn't really go into it. There is a great fan film called Batman Dead End, oh. which features Batman taking on the Joker. And it's a, re- it's a really good Batman and Joker portrayal where Batman basically tracks down Joker and Joker basically saying, you know, you're just as crazy as me. You belong in Arca with me. We belong together. And then all of a sudden, Joker is wrenched up high into the alleyway, into the shadows. And Batman looks up to find that he is face to face with a xenomorph, an alien from the franchise Aliens. And Batman fights aliens, what? beats them. Oh man, yeah, he fights the Xenomorphs, man, and then, yeah. uh, in that case, I won't spoil the ending. But he fights Xenomorphs, and then, yeah, then he realizes that he's screwed at the end of the fight. Put it that way. Now, do you want to know? Actually, really... not because he's Batman. Do you want to know a really fun fact about uh, Batman Dead End's Joker that ties this all back together again? He's quite a famous Joker portrayer, is he not? No. Because he's very good. Is he not? His, he's wise. Very good. His name is Andrew Koenig. Or, or Koenig. I, I never know how to pronounce the name. Koenig, I think. Oh, I, yeah. Uh, Kurt son, Koenig, yeah. Son of Walter Koenig, a.k.a. Pavel Chekhov. Pa- Pavel Chekhov. from Star Trek. Oh, In my God. Is is he alive? No, he he died. Uh, he passed away. I think two thousand ten. Andrew, his son Andrew. Yeah, Andrew sorry, Andrew. Grant. Right. So Walter Koenig's still alive. Yeah. Andrew Koenig, his son, passed away a couple of years ago. Um, quite. That's sadly. really sad. Yeah. Yeah. He was a talented fella. Like, just what? Okay, watch. Just watch it. It's great. Batman Dead End on YouTube. Absolutely fantastic bit of cinematography. Even though the concept is nuts. It is based off a Batman um, comic that also featured the the, the Xenomorphs arriving on Earth, which uh, is just great. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. So basically, fan fiction has an interesting reputation, and I'd actually quite like to know what my fellow hosts think of it as a concept. Right. So what do you think? Do you think it's good, bad, positive, negative? What What is it that you think of when you think of fan fiction? Shall I go first? Because I'm sure you guys would probably have... I don't know. I'll go first. Um, I think anything that inspires and perpetuates creativity is nothing but a good thing. Um, I do find it a bit frustrating when certain bad fanfics actually end up getting published, aka <laughs> Shades of Grey, but that's just a mild irritant amidst the sea of wonder, which is fandom. I think it's great, and I think it's, it does nothing but inspire others and find its way into, you know, uh, more uh, standard media, like we were saying earlier, like Rogue One and things like that. Like it, you know, I think that's a great thing, personally. Oh. I'd say, Rob, if that made you angry, do you want me to try and make you even angrier? <laughs> you always can. Do, do you know what the, the author of, uh, of um, the Fifty Shades trilogies? Uh, account name was when they were writing fan fiction. God, what? I think it might. I might know what it's to do with, but go on. Snow Queen's Ice Dragon. Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to cast any aspersions uh, on anyone's name, or, you know, choice of internet handle or anything, but for some reason, it's really, really vile. annoys me. Yeah, <laughs> it's really, it's mildly annoying. I don't know yeah. what, what it is about that in particular that rubs me the wrong way, especially given. Well, it's you also know... that it's it's also that it's fanfic of Twilight as well. I mean, of anything, come on. <laughs> not that not that we're judging anyone for what they like. No, that I guess would be not. a terrible thing for us to do. No, that's very but, true. Fuck's sake, come on now. Yeah. I just realised I had that speech about perpetuating creativity and you're like, Twilight, fuck off! <laughs> but never mind. Uh, okay, Irish, what do you think of fan fiction? Um, I say it's more like a necessary evil. <laughs> a necessary evil? Oh, that's a great art, sorry, love it. Why is it a necessary evil? Well, you know, there are a lot of people out there that have ideas, creative juices and all that, but have no way to... Exp- you know, they might not be the best artist or whatever. Right. Uh, you know, might not be a good uh, musician for that, but regardless of talent, anyone can write. Everyone's got a book, absolutely. And I think fan I- fiction is an easy, accessible way to, to get it out there. Even if you don't... Even if it was a case of you know, you wrote it and never submit it anywhere. Mm. The fact that if you have, uh, you know, you have put your idea down onto paper or spreadsheet or whatever, you know. I see. It, it's kind of needed. Yeah. This day and age, especially. 
Yeah, I just need to correct myself. I said everybody everyone has a, has a book. Everyone has a book in them. Yes, not everyone has a book. I was going to say well, but don't own books. I, I was going to correct clarify. you. I was going to correct no, you, know. but then I, I thought, so I'm... I thought <laughs> I'm technically speaking, gun. if you have a book, you have the means to create fan fiction. <laughs> just read that book and then say, ah, I wonder what would have happened if." You have the the metaphysical components within you to create to have a book, so you're fine. And some of us literally <laughs> have a book in us after a very confusing weekend in Tijuana. Yeah, or you <laughs> don't really have much money to put towards food shopping. Yeah, yeah. I I was told I would eat my words, and by God, did I? <laughs> so yeah, my view is. Fan fiction is a necessary evil. A necessary evil. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jack. I. I. It's such a broad question. I mean, like, it's like sort of saying, <laughs> yeah. "What do you think of movies?" Like, yeah. Good. Um. Yeah. Like, as a, as a general general concept, I think it's absolutely fantastic. I I I hate this this idea put forward by a lot of writers. Uh, George R. R. Martin's the one that springs to mind uh, initially of saying that it's um, it's not a great way for a writer to to practice their craft um, that it that it stunts creativity. I think that's a that's a lot of shit, basically. Um, well, okay, as, as I I actually do quite like George R. George R. R. Martin. I I like his work, mm-hmm. but that is bullshit because two of his biggest fans were the ones that made the latest uh, Ice and Fire like anthology book thing that was released yeah and that's the thing is like so (laughs) you can be a great writer and you know work from from a you know work make a a derivative work you can you know be a terrible writer and do the same thing it gives us this whole playing field that it's completely level um and you can get better you you get better at writing by writing and having people Mm -hmm. if you write fanfic you have a means to have people read it and tell you what they liked and what they didn't like about it Yes. And your feedback cycle is so much quicker. Yeah, you don't have to wait for like you know a publisher to come back to you and say, "No, it's shit." You can have someone on fanfic.net or archive of our own saying, "Oh, I really like the way you did this. Um, I think your dialogue maybe needs a bit of work in this regard." Like, oh, cool, thank you. And and you can get that kind of feedback chapter by chapter because a lot of fan works are written that way piecemeal. Yeah. So you put it up as as a piece is finished, and you get feedback as you go. It's uh, it's what I was hoping we would lead on to was, is it a tool for learning writing? I th- because there are those who say no, and then there are people I cannot remember who, but someone once famously said it's like it's like training wheels for the learner writer mm. because the the bulk of the work of the dynamics, the world building, has been done for you, and it allows you to get in the guts of character interaction and situation uh and it's it's those training wheels that let you focus on the the core concepts and and then as your um confidence grows you can start to work on the surroundings the world setting up the initial sort of relationship dynamics between a cast of people but it gives you that that in and yeah. of course as you said the way to learn to write is write. The way to learn to draw is draw. Yep. The way to learn to make a film is to make a film. And that's 
to me, that's the key of all fan works. Yeah, I mean... No, is it's people making things. No art teacher worth their soul is ever going to say, oh, you wouldn't, you're never going to learn to draw by copying, you know, this. It's like, they're going to sit you down and make you copy that shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Writing is, is exactly the same. And, and again, with the, tr with the training wheels example, I mean, even established writers will you know, can do these sorts of things where it gives you a chance to to flex your creativity, I think, to work in a medium that you otherwise wouldn't. Um, a really good example, and weirdly, this is self-insert fanfic, essentially. Uh, two two writers back in the the, uh, the turn of the, the 20th century, uh, Robert E. Howard and H.B. Lovecraft. Wow. wow. Yeah, we're, we're very good friends, and they wrote... They were good friends, yeah. They, yeah. they wrote to each other. And they were like, oh, I really like your, your world of, you know, rolling planes and evil wizards and, and rippling muscle barbarians. And, yeah. and in return, they'd be like, oh, I really like your, your worlds of vast, unknowable emptiness and nihilistic dread. Um, <laughs> and they, they wrote self-insert fanfics of each other in their worlds. Yeah. So, and they, oh, they, so ended, cool. they ended up with them getting horribly killed. Um, <laughs> because I mean... they, were, they were weird people. <laughs> Yeah, they were, they were. And I mean, what I would say to add to that point as well as to why fan fiction would be a really great way of of learning the trade of writing is I, I'd say it's a handy shortcut. I mean, if you're a really big fan of something, okay, so uh, Simon, you're a big fan of Star Trek and you know uh, you would be able to, you're such a fan that you know how a particular character would react to a certain situation you know how they would react emotionally you know how they'd you know act so to already have that shortcut to already know the uh the psychological and inner workings of a character already laid out in front of you you would then all basically have the kind of blueprints for how characters work as it were to yeah the no i get exactly what you mean yeah so uh, I think that's nothing but a good thing as well. Mm. It. I mean, another another point I'd like to bring into it on the whole sort of is fan fiction a good, you know, a force for good and so on. I really wish I knew who had said this original quote that it really stuck with me. Is that uh, going back to our our conversation earlier about you know the the early days of <laughs> fan fiction, how we went from oral storytelling to written storytelling, how the early um, Arthurian legends were essentially all fanfics of one another because you had French writers, you had uh, Britannic writers, you had all these uh, these people coming together and writing stories from the same origin point, but bringing their own aspects into it. And they were all essentially creating a collaborative work that was a fanfiction of an original source. Yeah. And, that, and that became part of a sort of shared heritage of sort of Western European chivalry and, and, and sort of sword-slinging fantasy. Um and again, it's it's become part of uh, British culture. Is that you know, Legend of King Arthur and the Round Table, and so on. Now, the way that uh, copyright laws and so on work now in in stopping people from creating works based on other works is essentially taking away the power of um, advancing culture and, and creating, uh, you know, adding on to the great tapestry of culture, and it's taking it out of the hands of the everyday people yeah and putting it into the hands of studios or publishing houses or you know the people with the money um and this is this is you know it's armchair socialism coming in here but it's like 
<laughs> it is essentially sort of taking away power to create and add to culture from the people who don't have the uh, financial means to. And I really wish I knew who this quote. Um, so yeah, that's that. That's what I wanted to add into there. Go get angry at rich people. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, um, I've read similar things about the Arthurian things. Uh, more focusing on the fact that as there is no authoritative source, there's there's no fan fiction because there's no original work. Yeah, yeah. You know, they are all original works, and and that's the problem with how fan fiction is seen now as compared to the creation of the Arthurian legends. Is if you write an Avengers story, everyone will say, "Well, it's not, it's not." The authoritative Avengers. Well, yeah, but those have been written and created by so many people now that it's in in a similar way to Arthurian legends. Modern comic book characters have so many canonical creators that who is the de facto writer of that character? Is it the first? Is it the current? Is it one of the the best loved storylines in between? Where does that authority lie? Mm. You can't say that you're not true to the. Not true to the will of Kirby himself if you write a Superman fanfic that's based actually off of a Grant Morrison story. Exactly. You know? if you, if you what's going on there? If you wrote a Batman fic where he didn't fly around in the Batplane killing people, shooting them down, and hanging people, then <laughs> you're not writing you're not writing Bill Kane's Batman. Bob. No. Bob Kane's uh, Bill was it Bill Finger? Bill Finger. Was there a, yeah. was there a Bill? Yeah, and Bob okay, Kane. Yeah. Um, you know, so th- these things do change. So yeah, I mean uh, I mean, the only the only thing I can add onto that is that when the original creator is still alive and does actually hold a viewpoint on uh, fan fiction, I think the woman I don't think we've mentioned Anne Rice, um, <laughs> but she is very, 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 very vocal about not wanting fan fiction written because they're her original characters and no one else can do them right. Anne Rice, who I will point out to everybody, did spend a long period of time writing Bible fan fiction. Yes. Yeah. And it's always interesting, actually, when you get something like that. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Honor Harrington novels, even though I know they are very pulpy and they are not necessarily what you would call high literature. There's nothing wrong with that. No, no, not at all. But uh, they are just a, a big, fun space opera romp. And David Weber, the author, has gone on record as saying he won't refuse anyone. He's not going to come after you legally, but he would appreciate people not creating fan fiction of his universe. Mm. Uh, that That is his opinion. He prefers people not to. And I understand people's desires uh, with regard to their own creations, but the thing about Honor Harrington is she is a naval officer serving a Queen Elizabeth <laughs> uh, going up against... Um, they're not the French, but their homeworld is Nouveau Paris, and they do have a revolution in the middle of the story arc led by a man named Robert Stanton Pierre or Rob S. Pierre. And she is an uh, an officer in the Navy who loses an arm and an eye has... Uh, uh, I, 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 what I'm saying is the, the similarity between her and Nelson and her and Hornblower yeah. are so potent... As to make me wonder whether the whole of the Honor Harrington franchise isn't just <laughs> fan fiction in the first place. And it is. Well, it is fan fiction. Until, until you uh, mentioned... What if we took Hornblower and put him in space? I was gonna, until until yeah. you mentioned Hornblower, I was like, can you write fanfic about an actually existing time period and existing people? 
Sharp. Is that just historic? Well, I mean, Sharp didn't ex- man didn't exist, but he does interact with people that did exist. It's Forrest. Oh, I guess he does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he yeah. does interact with with you know Wellington and so on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very much hornblower in space, is what I'm saying, and that's fine. But when your entire basis is essentially fan fiction, you yeah, you really don't have a leg to stand on if someone wants to do fan fiction of it. Yeah, I mean, especially if it's transformative. Oh yeah, that's made that's made me think of something as well, actually, um, about Tolkien. Um, Now, some people obviously love Tolkien for like the overarching stories. Don't like him in particular for the scrupulous detail he goes into about a particular fox that watches the adventurers <laughs> go by. If you know what I'm talking about, then you know. But how um, will we know Tolkien... about that fox's descendants? <laughs> exactly. But Tolkien was always adamant, always adamant that uh, Middle-earth was to be a tapestry that later generations would add to and, uh, and uh, other people could add to. Now, the Tolkien uh, estate basically took that as you have to be a blood relative of Tolkien to add to the uh, to the uh, pantheon. So hence uh, Christopher Tolkien. Yes, but in actual fact, Tolkien was all about like, look, the Middle Earth is a huge place. Lots of people could totally add to this. But he, he was essentially trying to create his, uh, a mythology for the British Isles, a creation myth and a mythology for the British Isles that didn't involve all of those smelly Celtic people. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but with horses, absolutely. Uh, they were the Rohirrim. But like, yeah, like, so in a way, the Tolkien estate cock-blocked like a whole bunch of Tolkien fanfics that could have totally been added to the pantheon as it were yeah. imagine the world we could live in today um, imagine With seven seven hobbit films <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true that's true in fairness yeah maybe middle earth has got enough going for it as it is yeah um, i mean still. but equally you have some writers who you have some writers that have changed their minds on things i mean noted fuckface orton scott card orson who uh, Ender's Game. Oh right. Was he was he the massive homophobe? Um. Yes. Yeah. Sort of. Um, <laughs> right. I, it depends how deeply you dig into it. Whether it was latent or, but yeah, I mean, he he did have he did hold some homophobic opinions, yeah. but yet also wrote one of the most beautiful homosexual love stories. It's almost unintentionally a complex man. We'll put it that way. Comple- very complex man, but he, he famously wrote fan fiction. Yeah, well, he, he did also say, uh, what, I'll quote him verbatim, uh, to write fiction using my characters is morally identical to moving into my house without invitation and throwing out my family. Uh, he has changed his mind, though, uh, <laughs> because essentially he sees fanfic as free advertising, or saw fanfic as free advertising. Well, I think it's like a... I mean, if I ever created something that then people went on to make stories about, I think that's like the biggest compliment, yeah. surely. That that puts you in the same realms as J.K. Rowling and Stephanie Meyer. Right. In terms of your view of fan fiction, not not writing of it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, that's where I belong now. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, no, that's very flattered. Yeah. Uh, Stephanie Meyer's even even used to put like uh, links to her favourite Twilight fanfics on her own official website. 
Like yeah. that's 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 being flattered in it and a half. That is. Yeah, I guess so. And then others will just take a very very hands off approach. I know. Um, oh, Lucas Arts, uh, George Lucas, and all that just are like, well, we don't really care what you do with the fanfic world. This is, is pre Disney. Um, yeah, provided, yeah, di- yeah, they were like whatever. Provided yeah. there's no porn, we're yeah. happy for you to do what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now it's uh, now we're in a, a post uh, Disney Star Wars world, so presumably that's changed quite a bit. Most authors take, um, as far as I can tell, the very simple "I don't read it for legal reasons." Yes, because if, if you, but as long as you're not causing trouble, go for it. If, if anyone you know is sort of thinking about that, like doesn't quite understand, like if if an author reads a fan fiction, and then by you know whether it's by coincidence or not. A similar concept turns up in a later novel or film or comic or what have you. Um, yeah. Then they don't have a sort of plausible deniability of being able to say, "Well, I didn't copy this fanfic writer." Um, so uh, yeah. If you don't read it and you come up with the same idea completely independently, and very publicly state that you do not read fan work, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, that could get you into trouble, couldn't it, I guess? Yep, and and uh, I will say as a writer as well, that, uh, man, that sounded more wanky than it needed to be. Like, as, <laughs> as someone who has written many things, it is so You're a hard. writer, wear it! Uh, 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 as, you know, it is so difficult to write something and not take, if not inspiration, then, you know, whole chunks of things that you have read, either recently or, or in the past, um, and gone like, oh, I'm really happy with this idea I've got here. And then it's only like a couple of hours later, you're sitting there having a cup of tea and you're sort of like, son of a bitch, that's just this novel I read like two years ago. <laughs> I did that when I was young. I I, I was all of a sudden inspired uh, and I started writing something and I was there for ages. Days upon days went by as I made notes and changed around characters and things like that. And then I stopped one day I looked at it and realised I had just made a novelised form of Zelda, the Ocarina of Time. <laughs> I, you know, I like, it's easy to do. I remember Zoe yeah. trying to compose a piece of music and it was it was almost right so make a subtle change, almost right, make a subtle piece of change, almost right, make a subtle change, make another subtle change and then realise that what you've written is the uh, opening theme of Jurassic Park. Right. <laughs> That's a damn music. music. Music it is, yes. Be, <laughs> would be the most difficult, I reckon, because it's infectious and certain melodies will stick in your mind. Everyone knows the Jurassic Park theme, that's in everyone's head. So that could, that's, I reckon, could be easily done. The, the, easily the, done. The, the, the fantasy story I'm writing at the moment, I literally got all my, my chapter plans done, broken down what was going to happen in each individual section of the book, where characters were going to be. There was a flow chart, there was fucking pins in a board. Started writing it, five chapters in, I was like, fucking hell, this is the first half an hour of Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> awesome! <laughs> like, not even, not even good Just fantasy. change the names! Just change the names! <laughs> I'm just like, god damn pirates, it, someone, someone's in prison, and they're gonna get busted out by this, by, and they're gonna be looking for the, 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 the child of the, the person who's running the town, and oh god damn it, it's just fucking Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> Well, it's a good film, so the yeah. first one anyway, so nice work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, I think it's time, because I, I think we've got to that stage. We've talked about the, the actual creation process now. 
Um, We're all relatively crazy people, I like to think. Just um, before we go there. Go on. I do just want to say, you know, it's worth noting there are several authors who have openly written fan fiction themselves. So it it can be a step on the route to writing. Lois McAllister Bujold, whose works I really love, published a Star Trek fanzine back in the 70s oh, nice. and wrote fiction for it. Uh, Neil Gaiman famously has written Sherlock Holmes, Lovecraft, yeah. and I think um, Narnia fan fiction as well. Wow. I I read a Sherlock Holmes story that Neil Gaiman wrote, and it was awesome. The, so uh, yeah, the, and the the Cthulhu mythos is sort of essentially built now on on fan fiction and expanding. Yeah, universe. yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because the, the the Cthulhu mythos is like open territory, really, isn't it? It it really is, which is great because it means you can go and read Cthulhu mythos books without just finding the N word liberally splattered with <laughs> everything. It's great. Yes. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Uh, John Scalzi, who is one of my favourite authors, has written what is unabashedly a Star Trek fanfic as a novel. Huh. Oh, wow. In, in the same way that Galaxy Quest is unabashedly a Star Trek fanfic. In the, it it <laughs> yeah. isn't, but it totally is. Uh, with a similar sort of premise. It's uh, it's called Red Shirts, and it's about a, a spaceship that every so often finds its senior crew behaving very weirdly and uh, it is known as the narrative taking over. Uh, and and they discover that, in fact, they are um, inextricably linked with a show that was published on Earth centuries ago. Um, <laughs> and, and their existence was created by this show, and they are now doomed to live out its episodes. And <laughs> oh they come God. up with a scheme to actually time travel back to find the creators and get the show cancelled so they can live their own lives. Amazing. It's it's pretty great, and That's I thoroughly great. recommend it. Um, and like the one I really wanted to mention is Naomi Novik, who I've not read Temeraire, but I've heard of the books. I've got I know people who are big friends. It's Fantasy with Dragons, um, and and some say even Temeraire itself started as a Master and Commander fanfic, adding dragons to Master and Commander. Holy shit. I've heard of this. Yes, I've heard of this. Uh, they're apparently very good. I've got uh, friends who are deeply into them. Yeah. But one of the interesting things about Naomi Novik specifically is she is one of the founding members of the Organization for Transformative Works, right? which is a body dedicated to protecting and preserving fan culture as a culture. Huh. Uh, they run Archive of Our Own. They also provide legal advocacy for uh, transformative work creators who get into trouble um and run lots of sort of awareness uh projects and um advocacy for fan creation oh oh wow and i thought they were worth mentioning in case we have any enthusiastic transformative work creators or fan creators amongst our audience who might be interested in getting involved do it i, I think it might be a it might be an idea to put maybe on our Facebook group we could post the links to the fan fiction websites you mentioned earlier for people who want yeah, feedback and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I I would so thoroughly recommend if you if 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 you're even a little bit interested, just churn something out. You'd, you'd be surprised how much you could really really enjoy it. Like if you churn out one chapter of something and just go, oh, that was a bit of fun. I guarantee you'll find yourself itching to add on to it. And, yeah. and it's such a it's such a great way to work on 
I'm, again, I'm just talking about fan fiction in this in this regard. There's a lot of things you can do with fan art or with, with fan movie productions and fan gaming and modding and so on. But speaking just from a, a fan fiction perspective, it's such a great way to, to practice your writing and hone your, your skills. You will learn so much from reading other people's work and writing your own and getting feedback. It's it's invaluable. Which brings me on to my question. Um, and... Uh, for you, Jack, I'm going to add a slight caveat because I know you've written a lot of fan fiction. Right. <laughs> Someone comes along with the Met, right? The men with their guns, okay? You know oh, the shit. men with their guns? Not those the dickheads. men with their guns. Yeah, those guys. I don't like where this is going. <laughs> the men with their guns come along and say, you have to write a fan fiction or the men with the guns are going to shoot you, okay? So with right. Jack has to be you have to write a fan fiction of something you've never written a fan fiction of before okay okay so you have to write a fan fiction what would it be of we'll start with jack you know what i've never actually i've never actually written a star trek fan fiction really really honestly i've never read i would argue you have because i would argue that everything contributed to the play by email roleplay group yeah, yeah. Uh, is Star Trek fan fiction. All right, okay, no, fair enough. I have never written <coughs> Star Wars fan fiction. Would you write a Star Wars fan fiction? I would totally write Star Wars fan fiction based around uh, the life and times of one uh, RPG character I once had. So in a, ah. in a sense, it's, it's a pseudo self-insert uh, Star Wars fan fiction. Is that a certain Mira Lucan, is it? It really is. Yeah, I'm so proud. That's the one game we didn't talk about on our RPG stories. No, the Star Wars game. We will talk- oh, when, when episode three comes around, when episode three comes around, we will do. We will do a big Star Wars one because that—that's a great character to bring up, Jack. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, and I—I I loved that game. That all of the characters in that game could have a good chunk of an episode given over to oh, them. Oh gotcha. It was. Yeah. It was never a game I played in, but the stories I heard from it made me want to see it written as an, as. Well, there you go. It's a fan fiction, yep. as a novel. When, so. Maybe, maybe one day we'll do a, the next chapter online. Maybe we'll do. So we can we'll all do. Be in it. We'll do episode six. Sorry, episode three. Revenge of the GM of the of the the role. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay, so we got Jackson. Uh, Star Wars, which is sucks because you stole mine, but never mind. I'll think of another one. <laughs> That's also um, partially the reason I went for either Star Wars or Star Trek was to see what you would come up with. <laughs> That's Sorry. fine. Irish, Irish. Uh, as I have written Pokemon one, I can't pick that because <laughs> that's an easy one to do. Um, oh. Uh, oh, that's a hard. That's a hard question. Um, well, it's got to be something that you obviously are, yeah. are a fan of, so. I don't know, maybe um, something Mega Man. Ooh, potentially. That'd be cool, yeah. Maybe okay. do like a, a cross uh, cross universe situation with all the various Mega Men in it to some extent. Is it Mega some... Men or Mega Mans? <laughs> yes. Cool. I don't know, there's so much. When you're when when you're a fan of so much, it's really hard to nail down what you can write about. Yeah, I'd have that write a Fallout story. 
Ooh, there's a lot of. Oh, that would yeah. be cool. Like, like my my characters again, like a self insert situation, but my character's experience in a wasteland. <laughs> Pick one, essentially, or an Elder Scrolls story, or something along that lines. Damn it. <laughs> I'll think of another one. I'll think of another one. Um, I would also. Oh, actually, I just had another fun idea. A uh, a legend, yeah. a Legend of Zelda fic. That's just just townsfolk dealing with someone running into their houses in the middle of the day or the middle of the night, <laughs> yelling at the top of his lungs, hot, dirt, hot! and then just picking up their pots and flinging them everywhere before leaving. That's amazing. Like how does how does this town cope? How does the economy work? The people of Kakariku Village. <laughs> oh, you can do oh, it. You can make a, do like a Judge Judy crossover. The, Kakariku, <laughs> the people of Kakariku Village versus Link. <laughs> well, just versus the hero of time. Yeah. <laughs> why, you brought me to court? why you brought me to court today? He broke all my parts. Do you have anything to say in your defense? Ah, do it, da, da. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Simon. Ah, uh, this is... I, I've been trying to come up with something whilst everyone else has been talking, because my problem is if we're excluding things you've already written fan fiction about, I'm not left with a lot of things that I <laughs> feel really passionate about. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, do, you me, do you want me to come up with another one whilst, whilst you try to come up with an idea? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Cool. Uh, I would do a crossover fiction. What if the Beatles were in the Star Wars universe? That's amazing. <laughs> what? <laughs> I like it. There you go. I like it a lot. It hasn't helped because it's just distracted me. <laughs> Shit, god damn it. Because uh, now that image is in my head. I'm just imagining the yellow submarine as a as a spaceship. Holy shit, that would uh, be amazing. That yeah. would be pretty, pretty amazing. Ringo would totally be a mouse droid or something. <laughs> <laughs> I like oh it. Oh my god. Because uh, no, I, I have written about a lot of things that I particularly loved. Everything from like the Vert novels universe through to Ghost in the Shell, obviously Star Trek, Star Wars. Um, I think at the moment, just because I'm loving it so much, I could probably write something in the Expanse universe. There's a hell of a lot of novellas and sort of expanded stuff around um, smaller characters and smaller events. I think I could do that. I'm not sure it's the best answer I could come up with. I think what I would like to do, although I just have no clue where I would start it, is The Wicked and the Divine. Oh, yeah. oh my god, dude. Just pick a time uh, Possibly in idea. another recurrence of the gods and create a completely original pantheon. Dude, just pick a time uh, period. That's, that's perfect. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think that lends itself a lot to that. Yeah, the recurrence, the fact that you've got this sort of choice of 90-year intervals that you could just go with and write fanfic. And they're sort of doing that themselves with uh, the specials being published in between arcs are from different pantheons. So they did one that was all the great um, gothic horror writers. So... Um, Shelley's and... and uh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Byron, yeah, yeah. And the Brontes were in there. And, um, and they're doing one that is set in Rome next, oh, which wow. is fascinating. The muses... Yeah, so there's a lot 
of rich concepts you could pull from, I think, to put together a pantheon of gods. But I sort of feel like I need to know more about the actual secrets of Wikdiv before I write that, because any speculation right now is guaranteed to be wrong. Oh, but that doesn't, that yeah. doesn't matter. That literally does It doesn't matter. matter. It doesn't matter, but it's... Uh, eh. I would like to know what the fuck is going on in Wikidiv. Yeah. I think that's just a general <laughs> feeling of God. Until, <laughs> just want to know. Until we get there, you have the capacity to to go just go nuts with it. Um, that's very true. Like the 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 Baroque musicians of the of the the Romance period as uh, gods. That's amazing. Mozart, your Salieri, your Beethoven. I mean, I know they were a little bit apart in time, but fuck it, it's fan fiction. You can do that. What you doesn't want. it? Didn't really matter with the Gothic horror authors because they were all original characters. They were just heavily influenced. Yeah. You could tell who they were. That's awesome. That's very cool. Um, that just leaves me, and I have a cop out answer and an answer that I just thought of, but would really love to try at some point. My cop-out answer is Doctor Who. It's a cop-out answer because I kind of already have come up with uh, outlines for Doctor Who episodes, but I've already come up with that, so it doesn't count. What I think I would love to do at some point in my life is to pick a historical figure I haven't chosen yet. Uh, I think maybe Vlad the Impaler is at the top of the list, but to write it in the style of a lost Shakespeare play. Ooh. Because, like, you've got, like, your historical figures in Shakespeare, like your Henrys and your Richards, whatever. Mm. Like, wouldn't it be rad if there was, like, a Shakespeare play about Attila the Hun (laughs) or Robert the Bruce? Do you know (laughs) what I mean? Like, or Hitler. Like, that's what I would do, I think. Does that count as fan fiction? Totally. Yeah. Because it's Shakespeare. Yeah. Maybe William Wallace. Inspired by Stalin. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I'd really I just want to interrupt briefly to say I've been inspired to go and look at the Wikdiv tag on Archive of Our Own, and I've just found a crackfic entitled Amateurus Who Runs an Anime Club. Uh, and the description is just so crack, much crack, your waifu is trash. So I know the next <laughs> fanfic I'm reading. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's all the inspiration you need to go write in your own. Boom. But meanwhile, I'm, oh, I'm now just stuck with this fucking weird-ass kick of just putting the Beatles into weird situations. <laughs> That's a great the Beatles one. in the supernatural universe. What's <laughs> having the ring? Oh, his <laughs> eyes have gone all black. Okay. Here's a question I put forward. Where would you submit it? Where? No, what what sites are there? Are like the key Good ones? man. I, I submit my stuff to fanfiction.net. Um, but it has fallen somewhat out of favour with a lot of people, uh, largely because you can't publish porn on it. Uh, <laughs> historically, I've published to fanfiction.net these days, I would look at Archive of Our Own. And that is, yeah, that's your alternative is Archive of Our Own is probably the best bet for it. It's sort of built by people that were disillusioned with the way, the direction that fanfiction.net has gone. Um, okay. And if you want to go really traditional, of course, you can publish it on a live journal. Yep. Oh god. If you if you are in fact Russian, as as far as I know, like if you're an artist, of course, you probably want to look at Deviant Art. Yep. Yes. Yeah. I'm absolutely. sure there are other sites, but that's the one I know. Um, if you want to get yourself set up with a Tumblr and get your name out there, that's a that's a good way of doing it. Yeah. Yep. Very true. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's how my, my Tumblr got started. 
was as a, a fanfic writing uh, oh, shipping wreck. Yeah, yes. uh, as a, as a means of writing uh, Nicholas Sarkozy Gordon Brown slash fic. <laughs> oh, I ain't even <laughs> fucking joking. I know you're not. That's why oh, I'm laughing. Oh, that's hilarious. Gordon Brown found his way into quite a lot of things like that, didn't he? <laughs> did did he? Perfectly so. <laughs> no, you know what I mean. Oh, though, I like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was his yeah. tones. That was that's what did it. And his metal arm. What the fuck? Oh, didn't you know about that? He has a power. In a metal arm. Or a weird eye or something. He has a, there was he has something. A, he has a glass eye. Or a lazy eye. This is so far off topic. <laughs> but yes, you, you can set up with an We eye. have to call the episode Does Gordon Brown Have a Metal Arm? That's the name, <laughs> of, the, that's the name of the show. Oh, right. Um, so yes, get yourself set up with a blog is another great way of doing things. Yeah. Uh, for, for actually putting like film on the net it is often a device to go with vimeo isn't it rather than youtube uh i mean vimeo is a bit less strict i think with the way it's run less strict you'll get your mass audience on youtube yeah. but you'll get a little bit more leeway on vimeo so yeah. what i have seen done as a successful strategy is put a trailer up on youtube for your vimeo production ah, yes 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 i've yes, seen that as well that's yeah. a very smart way of doing things. That's like evil genius levels. I like it. Mm. Um, there are also, I mean, certainly if you're in the UK, I'm not sure necessarily about the US, but um, if you have uh, ideas for scripts and things like that, uh, the BBC has its writing room. Um, Channel 4 does certain things as well on their own website, um, which is uh, admittedly probably more for original stuff, but you never know. Uh, if you wanted to, you know, pitch a spin-off of an existing BBC product, um, there's always a possibility there. Uh, I assume they probably have a lot of Doctor Who uh, requests go in, so maybe, maybe yeah, something definitely. a little less explored. But big yeah, finish it, it, for, yeah. for the budding screenplay writer. That that's that's a possibility. Or radio play. Mm. There's something that doesn't get fucking. So what you're saying is my my screenplay treatment for the Jenna Louise Coleman Maisie Williams Space and Time Diner spin-off is probably <laughs> not going to get to the top of the slush pile. Over Maybe the not. BBC. But <laughs> Maybe as, not. Like, this is what I will say with all things. Like all joking aside, it is always worth a shot. You lose nothing by putting your work out there to be to be uh, read and enjoyed. If That's you, true. You know, Very true. If if you if you're really worried that oh what if I become a great big writer one day and someone looks back at this and it, it reflects poorly on me, you know what? Yeah, that writing <laughs> writing oh god, this is going to sound so wanky again, but writing is a journey. You you don't no one starts off fantastic. No one ever just picked up a pen, got a bit of paper, and just fucking churned out the Iliad. <laughs> I don't know why I picked that as a fucking great example. That's the best one you could have picked. I love it. Wow. Because, you know, well-known for using biros was Homer. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No artist's first drawing was perfect. No writer's first work was perfect. Yeah. It's you got to learn your craft. And don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to do something a bit silly, to do something a bit fun. Um, and if anyone ever points to it at some point down the future and is like, oh, but you wrote this once and it was really, really bad, you'd be like, yeah, look how fucking far I've come. Look, Squirrel King is a legend, is what we're saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, ho hoax or not, hoax or not, that is heartwarmingly wonderful writing. 
and has brought joy oh. to so many people. It has. I love it. However, oh, I, I said I wanted to talk about it in the chat before we started, and there are times that maybe you shouldn't be putting work out there. Depending on where you're putting Yes, okay, this is a good caveat to my point. I hadn't thought of this, but yes, carry on. There is a dark side to fan works. Now, a lot of shows that we talk about or have talked about on this particular show, whether it be My Little Pony, which has not been the same since Lauren Faust left, whether it be Steven Universe, whether it be Adventure Time... Undertale. uh, Undertale. Um, These are... Undertale less so, but Le- less so. But it's it's the one Undertale is sort of all ages. It is, but it's the one that and... gets me. Is is that I'll, I'll go into yeah. later. Um, a lot of these are developed for, or at least to be friendly towards children, uh, especially the cartoons. Okay, and the thing about it being so easy to put things on the internet is, it's also very easy to find things on the internet, and I don't care if you want to write an epic about Pinkie Pie getting fucked in the ass, and I don't particularly care if you want to draw sexually explicit pictures of Amethyst or Garnet from Steven Universe, but there are places for that, and those places are not, for example, in the main Steven Universe tag on Tumblr, uh, where people who are trying to find content for their children, or children who are going to find content are looking for it, have some consideration. If you are publishing sexually explicit material about a children's fandom, please just have a care where you put it. And this is where you need to underline a thing here, because a lot of people will be like, oh, but it's very, you know, it's not just a kid's show. It's a, the, the, the key word there is just. It's not just a kid's show. Like, this is yeah. aimed... The core demographic. The, yep. The, the consumer base for this show, or game, or, or anything like that, is children. So what you're doing there is you are putting children in a uh, a position or environment where they are going to come across material that is unsuitable. That is only Now there are children who are going to be looking for unsuitable material and trust me they will find yeah. it no matter where you put it. I was one. Yeah, and that, that is that's um... not this isn't like, <laughs> this isn't about them so much as it is about the the creator. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, because well, there are also children who are not looking for that, and there are also the creators who are creating a work for children, trying to foster a community for children. And you just, you know, I don't know why it's not—it's not you, dear listener, that's doing this. I'm sure, but I'm going to keep using the second-person pronoun here. You come charging into that—that—that that, that wonderful safe space for children, just waggling your dick around and doing a goddamn helicopter with it. Why would you do that? <laughs> The internet is not so small that we cannot get along, but there are times and places for certain things. And I kind of know exactly what you're saying about Undertale. That one was pretty devastating. Just so much inappropriate content Mm -hmm. everywhere. Um, But yeah, it's... You've got to... As as with so many things with the internet, if you're going to put questionable material... Uh, and I, uh, this isn't this isn't a conversation of morality as to what constitutes porn and what you you do yeah like you just got to think when you're gonna put something up on the internet like am I okay with this being seen by someone who you know who shouldn't necessarily see it and if the answer to that is no you 
find somewhere else to put that content. I'm not saying don't don't put it on the internet. I'm not going to say oh you shouldn't you shouldn't publish uh, porn works. Go go nuts, whatever. Like that that's your thing. That's not my thing. That's cool. No, absolutely. Go nuts. I've written plenty of smut. Yeah. Uh, I'm all for creating um, adult fan works because there are adults who enjoy it, and that's fantastic. Yeah. But I put it in the right place. Yeah, exactly. You don't, you know, the, the, this is the reason that, you know, HMV doesn't put DVDs... I, I know HMV doesn't sell porn. This is a weird example to go with. But this is why HMV <laughs> doesn't stock its DVDs of, you know, But Sluts Part 10 in the Disney section. Like, all well, right and next to more it. to the point, it's why yeah. they're not selling specific porn parodies of Disney right next to the Disney exactly. stuff. Exactly. You won't see Booty and the Beast in there. Although, <laughs> having said that... Uh-oh. Um... I once went to the States and was visiting the Virgin Megastore. No, even before that, the Tower Records. I was going to say, was it yeah, Tower son, Records? Yeah, son, you old. It was Tower... I am, yes. <laughs> and they had a manga section. Oh. Oh. Uh, so I went to have a look. And it's where I actually picked up my six volumes of Akira, which, let me tell you, uh, <laughs> I was not considering the baggage weight of flying home again when I did that. Uh, they, those are heavy-ass books. They are. But, my God, someone had decided they were going to have a manga section but hadn't done their research uh, and had made the assumption it was all comics because I did find La Blue Girl right next to Sailor Moon. Oh, dear. Uh, and I moved it because I was just like, no, no, this is in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> wow! You really had a big shop. ass sticker on the cover saying "Not for sale to minors," and I was just like, I I had to draw attention to. It. I was like, "You put this next to a thing for kids. What are you thinking? Don't do that." Um. So yeah, th- some shops do do that, but hopefully not intentionally. The amount of, the amount of times I've walked into H and V and found Legend of the Overfiend amongst the kids' cartoons. <laughs> That strikes me less as the you know the store not knowing what's doing and some someone being an asshole. And I'm going to use it again. It's you. You are being an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be that asshole. Be be the person that we believe you can be. If you wanna if you wanna draw Maid Marion getting railed by a giant anthropomorphic truck. That is cool and more power to you. <laughs> what? I don't know. I'm just making shit up as I go along here. But don't put it in a place. truck. I don't fucking know. But don't put it in a place where the people who shouldn't see it are going to see it. Like, if you're going to take pictures of your own junk, you're not going to go and, like, tape that to the center. Actually, no, goddamn, some freak might. Don't tape that, you know, <laughs> on a wall in the middle of the town center. It's the same bloody Oops. principle. Yeah, yes, okay, we've all been students. We've all been there. Um, it's the same principle. Okay. So write whatever you want. Just be careful where you put it. Yeah. Yes. I think that's what we're saying. We're in favour of all fan creations, but there is some consideration has to be given to target audience. And to covering your own ass. If, if 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 you don't give a shit about the well-being of children, you know, cover your own ass here, guys. Don't don't go slinging that shit around. Think of it like anything else you would put on the internet. Just think: Do I want this to be easily found? 
do I want this to reflect back at me in a court of law? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a consideration. That's a whole other show. That is, that is That's absolutely... a whole other show. When we get up to the, like, putting photos of your scrote on Facebook episode of, of Dangerously Unprepared, we will this. I was thinking more about the Comic Book Creators Legal Defense Fund. Oh, yes, absolutely. And all the issues about illustrated pornography and representations of minors or minor-appearing characters. Yeah, which would be a very interesting sort of parallel to draw between the UK and Japan, for example. Yeah. Um, but that, again, that is a whole other episode. Damn, we could get a lot of, a lot of uh, material out of that episode. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I just wanted that it's a little bugbear of mine, and as it is fan creation related, I thought it was something that we probably needed to say on the I needed to say no, on this episode. Definitely. And now it's been said, so feel free to move take, on. Take that as a caveat to my to my earlier point. That is a very, very good point. Thank you very much. Well, I mean, yeah, I think we've been pretty comprehensive. I mean I could, the, no, I think that's about it. I mean, I, I, I thought the, of one other thing, oh yeah, but that's it. No, it was just another fan fiction that I thought of, but it's we've already kind of covered the, the the funny ones really. But just to let you guys know, if you want another funny Star Wars one, go check out. I think it was called "The Further Adventures of Wedge Antilles," and it basically is a story that links Wedge Antilles to every victory in the <laughs> Star Wars universe, like when the Emperor gets thrown down the uh, the elevator shaft at the end of Return of the Jedi, Wedge is the one that finishes him off by, like, basically smashing into him with his X-Wing. <laughs> it wasn't the fall that was going to kill him. It was Wedge's X-Wing. And Wedge also <laughs> tipped Luke's X-Wing in the right direction to fire the proton torpedoes to destroy the first Death Star. <laughs> he also single-handedly won the Battle of Hoth on his own. Um, he secretly trained Luke to become a Jedi. And... Is this self-insert fiction written by Wedge Antilles? Go look it up. The further adventures of Wedge Antilles. It's that amazing. crafty, porn-mustachioed <laughs> bastard. He's great. Oh, bless him. That's fantastic. And before yeah. we finish, I would like to give a shout-out to the Overwatch fan art community and just say, you're amazing. Keep doing uh... it. Oh, my God. Stuff. Oh yeah, definitely. Oh, and cosplays. We didn't even get onto cosplays. That's fan that art. That should be the that should be the point. Of the episode is just oh, and cosplays. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the end. The end. Oh wow. There you go. We didn't even get onto cosplays. What more can we say? There's, there's. Perfect. You can get onto cosplay in a later episode. It'd be really weird. Yes, there is a lot more we could say. Because it'll be an audio episode, so that'll be kind of weird, I think. But Yeah, but we can talk about concepts and yeah. awesome stuff we've seen. But until then, because a later episode is not now. Is it not? No. You have been listening to Dangerously Unprepared. I have been Simon. I have been Jack. I have been Rob. And I have been Irish. And I want to read... No, I don't want to read Dangerously Unprepared Fanfic. Don't do it. Do it. Stop. Do it. Goodbye. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Ari, get on it.
That was a Dangerously Unprepared podcast. Visit DangerouslyUnprepared.com to catch all our episodes and to submit topics for shows you'd like us to do in future. Follow us on Twitter at Unprepared Show. Find us on Facebook as Dangerously Unprepared. Thanks, as ever, go to Simply Syndicated for hosting us, IPI for the original music we based our theme tune on, and to you for listening. We hope you listen again. <laughs>